0: together Father God may we bless your holy name for you lord are worthy of worship you are worthy of adoration you are worthy of exaltation you are worthy of exaltation Lord, you are our joy. And I pray, Father, that our worship will be real. And that, Father, we will, God, bow before you, prostrate in our spirits, acknowledging your supremacy adoring your goodness and your greatness and your kindness and your love and your justice and your mercy and all that there is that encompasses you that our words can't even begin to describe. Lord, I pray now that as we enter into worship in the Word of God, that, Lord, You will open up our hearts to Your Word. Father, I pray this morning that You will take the text of Your written Word from the fourth chapter of Philippians, and, God, that You will plant it deep, deep within our hearts, that, Father, it will affect us and we will, God, be in submission to the authority of your spoken word. Lord, glorify your name in our midst today. Speak, Father, for me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. We'll take your copy of God's word and... I would invite you to turn to the book of Philippians this morning. The book of Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 10, 11, 12, and 13, and then we're going to look at it as it sets in the context of that chapter this morning. Uh, This was not where I originally started out this week, planning on going. I I really had been enjoying bouncing around in the book of Isaiah. And uh, just this week, uh, the Lord began to bring this particular passage to the surface of my heart, and I could not escape it. So here we are today in Philippians chapter number 4. But let me read. Let's read together, uh, beginning in verse number 10. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You indeed, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty. And hunger. Abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ. Who strengthens me. Now this is. God's. Holy word. Paul. Quite plainly tells us that I've learned the secret. I've learned the secret to being content no matter what my external circumstance is. Now, that word content, there, here in this passage, it means. To be satisfied with what one has regardless of how insignificant it might be. Um, You're content regardless of what you perceive as your needs in that moment. You're content. Why? Because God will meet it. God will provide. God is sufficient for you. Uh, Paul said in verse 10 and I echo what he said again. He said, I have learned the secret. Of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. Now, Paul was not saying that he was content or satisfied at where he was in his spiritual growth. Paul was not saying that he was content or satisfied at where he was in his own personal holiness. Paul was not saying that he was content or satisfied with anything about him internally. But what Paul was saying is that I have learned the secret of being content regardless of my external circumstances. In that I will be content. That's so unlike us, isn't it? That is so anti-human nature. Paul had learned that regardless of what was going on around him, he was going to find satisfaction. Contentment. Does that describe us individually? Uh, One of the hallmarks of spiritual maturity is the type of contentment that's described here in this text. Don't say, don't think, surely you wouldn't say it, but don't think, well, I'm a pretty mature Christian, if you cannot exemplify what Paul's talking about right here. Because this is important. This is important. This secret will save us from many self inflicted pains in this world many self-inflicted ills Um, someone said and i don't remember who said it i think it was one of these dead old puritans but said and i quote contentment sweetens our provisions and makes our simple cottages as fair as a castle end quote Wow. You see, without this mark of grace in our lives, you know what we do? We whine and we complain and we spout off the stink of our discontented hearts, failing. When we fail to learn this secret, it will lead us down a path of envy that ends in a pit of bitterness. We don't want that. I read a story, and I don't remember where I read it, It it's been some time back, but I've never forgotten this. There was this guy that, I think he was a single guy, and he he, he, he was so envious of the, the nice homes that some of his friends had, people he had graduated with high school had. Some of their large, luxurious homes. And he, he, just, he, he, he just couldn't stand it. He just had to buy him a better house, a bigger house. And so he thought to himself, I'll put mine up for sale. And so he did. He got in touch with a realtor and uh, they put up the house for sale. And the next day, this gentleman was... Scanning the, uh, looking for other homes to buy, and he, he saw one that caught his eye. And he circled it and he said, This is exactly what I'm looking for. And so he called the realtor. And the realtor didn't really know how to respond to his interest in the home that he was interested in because the house that he circled was his house that he put up for sale. Now, I know that sounds comical, and whether that's true or not, I don't know. But what I will tell you is that it sadly describes so many in how they find themselves today. Um, the Christian should not be characterized by the discontentment of the world, but our culture makes learning this secret that Paul is talking about so difficult because the world is shouting at us to, listen to me and listen to me carefully, the world is shouting at us to pursue the American dream and, and pursue bigger houses and bigger bank accounts and have bigger boats and faster cars than the neighbor and and so don't misunderstand there's nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves but when we pursue them and not satisfied at where we are rather than seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness allowing his provision to provide for us we become something that is utterly wrong so we must be careful Our culture makes it so hard. To be what Paul's talking about. Paul says he's learned the secret of a specific type of contentment. A contentment and satisfaction regardless of his outside circumstances. And Paul learned this in the fire of affliction. I want you to understand that. Paul, Listen, Paul isn't writing the fourth chapter of Philippians from some Roman palace. And speaking from theory and pontificating things that sound great and wonderful and noble. He's writing it to you. Guess where? From a from prison, he's not pampered right now. If you go back to chapter one of the book of Philippians and you read around verses twelve and thirteen, you see where he is, where he's in this book and where he's writing this letter. And in verse 12 he says, I want you to know brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So he isn't writing you from the sandy shore of the Mediterranean. He's not... Sitting up in some chateau with it easy, thinking about, well, this will sound so good and noble. He's writing from his imprisonment, saying, I have learned the secret of contentment. I've learned it. Now, guys, this is something we need to all grow in. I... I, This is an internal struggle for me. So often I will find sometimes, well, I wish I had this or I had that, and I become more concerned about that than I do about my pursuit of my God. Hello? And we don't want that. And you will find that what we're going to look at this morning is not like, Oh, one day I'm going to decide to be content. It is a fight day in and day out, hour by hour, moment by moment, because the voices of this world that is under the influence of the evil one never stops talking to you. Now, verse 11 and verse 12. Out of the verses that I read to you. They are seated in a context of principles that are clues, if you will, on the pathway of discovering this secret of contentment. I call them context clues. They are things here that God has been so gracious to show us that if we would practice these things we will find ourselves in a better position to handle the voices of this world when they scream at us and try to keep us from ever being content so this this is so important this is so important I want to expose to you that there's probably a lot of things here. I just want to expose to you in this text a few principles this morning. I want you to see these things. And God is so gracious to provide these truths to us before we get into a trial that's designed to to teach us this. He's sort of preparing us preemptively before we get there. You, You hearing me? Now, let's learn these. What, what, is, what is this comment surrounded by in the context of chapter 4? The, f- the first thing that I would draw out to you is that we need to learn, we must learn to rejoice in the Lord always. At the beginning of the fourth chapter... In verse number 4, Paul says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. It's pretty plain. It's a present imperative. It's a command. It's in a tense that means this. Um, This needs to not just be a one-time thing, but it needs to be your lifestyle. A lifestyle of Contentment. Wow. A lifestyle of rejoicing. Excuse me. A lifestyle of rejoicing. He's saying, look, whether you're up or whether you're down, whether you've got your wallets packed full of dollar bills right now or a 100 or whatever, or whether you've only got a few pennies to spare, hey, Paul's saying rejoice in the Lord. Always. Always rejoice in the Lord. And notice that this rejoicing in the Lord, He doesn't just tell us this once, He tells us this twice. Why? Because that is so antithetical to how we are rejoicing. In the Lord. Because we are slow to do what He's saying, He tells us twice, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say, always rejoice in the Lord. Now, whenever we are commanded to do something, we are always commanded to do something for a reason. You want me to tell you what the reason is that we're commanded to do this? The reason we're commanded to rejoice in the Lord always is because of the reality of Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10. Do you know what Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10? Towards the end of verse 10, we read these words. For the joy of the Lord is our strength. You want to know how Paul could write so confidently from a prison cell? How Paul could write so confidently when he was in need? You want to know how? Because he was rejoicing in the Lord. He was rejoicing in who his God was. He was rejoicing in him. He was going to praise him. He was going to rejoice in him and take joy in God. Not find his joy in his circumstances, not find his joy in what he's got in his bank account. Not find his joy and how well his home is put together or built or whatever. He was going to find his joy in the Lord God Almighty, the Lord Jesus Christ. He was going to find joy in them and in finding joy in him, he would find the strength to stand up in the midst of his lack. Is anybody hearing me? I pray you do. You must rejoice in the Lord. But not only must we learn to rejoice in the Lord, but we must rest in the peace of God always. Paul goes from talking about rejoicing to talking about peace and prayer in verses 4 through 9. Listen to these next verses. He says right after he says in verse 4 he says rejoice in the Lord always again I say it rejoice let your reasonableness be known to everyone the Lord is at hand do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses All understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Wow. Wow. You see, bad circumstances are always trying to steal our peace. Bad circumstances are always trying to create a climate of anxiety. Bad circumstances are always the enemies of faith or trying to nullify. Our faith. These things, they work against us. And so Paul says, you know what? Don't be anxious about this. I mean, Paul could be anxious. He's in jail right now. Paul has had time where he could be anxious before. He's had great needs, he's had financial needs, he's had other kinds of needs. But Paul is saying, rather than be anxious, let's pray. And here again, he doesn't just tell us to pray, but he tells us to pray and he tells us to pray twice because he uses a different word, one for supplication. We've got to pray, 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 and present your request and let it be known to God. In the context of what he's talking about is let it, God, be known. These things that are, are tempting you to be anxious when it's trying to rob you of peace. Because you see, without being and having the peace of God, you'll never be able to walk in the contentment that Paul's talking about. You've got to have your heart and your mind guarded by the peace of God. It's absolutely important. So in these verses, to help us rest in the peace of God, what is the action that we're told to do in order to reap the result of this peace of God? Well, it's persistent prayer. Persistent prayer and Christ-centered meditation. You say, where do you see that? That's really what verse number 9 says is all about. Where he says, well, you can begin reading in verse 8, where he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And he goes on and says, What you've learned or seen in me, put to practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, that's not just talking about generic positive thinking. Because I can only think of one who's worthy of praise, only one who is true. And the list could go on and on. All of those qualities are wrapped up in the person of God. Specifically, God as revealed in Jesus Christ. So... What are are we to be doing? How, How do we walk in the peace of God? Well, we're praying about these things. that are trying to rob us of peace, prevent us from finding and discovering this contentment. And as we're doing, we're focusing our mind, thinking on, this is what meditation is. It means to think on, thinking on these things that are prescribed here in verses 8, 9, and 10. We are to do that consciously do that. We just want to sit back and be zapped, but I'm telling you, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do in order to get to the place where the peace of God is guarding your heart and mind in Christ Jesus, which puts you in position. Because see, if you're at peace, regardless of your circumstance, you'll be content in those circumstances. That's important. And we're talking about... And Notice the phrase. We're talking about the peace of God. I'm not talking about peace with God. Christian, you 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 were given peace with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now I'm talking about something different. I'm not talking about peace with God. What Paul's talking about is the peace of God and having that peace, that practical peace in our lives when our circumstances are trying to rob us of that peace and... Hinder us from being content, as Paul is talking about. Now, in the text, we're given a specific example of something that is true and something that is Christ-centered that we need to think on in the midst of our less-than-perfect circumstances. It's verse number 13. What does he say in verse 13? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now this verse gets butchered bad. Especially by athletes. This verse is not the biblical rendition of the little engine that could... I think I can. I think I can. I can through Christ. I can through Christ. Mm-mm. This is not a verse so that you can score that touchdown. I can do all things through Christ. Certainly, you want to score that touchdown to the glory of God. That's not the context. We have to learn to read things in its context, and we have to, regardless of what we want to think or believe, our belief has to be renewed and impacted and submissive to the context of the authority of God's word. You want to tell what the context is? Here's the context. Don't read verse thirteen as if it's off over here by itself. Read it in connection with the verses around it. What's Paul talking about? Well, you go back to verse number twelve, and what does Paul say? Let me read verse twelve in conjunction with what he says in verse 13. He says, I... I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You know what he's talking about? He's learned he can do all things that are God's will, like be content and stand up under the weight of these circumstances that he finds himself in. You can't sit back and say, oh, this is too much for me. I can't handle it. Oh, you can't. Don't even say this. Don't say God's not going to put on me more than I can handle. Let me tell you something. That's not in the Bible, by the way. And we say it all the time. God's not going to give me more than I can handle. That is not what Paul's talking about. I know where people get that from when they're tired. It's talking about temptation. You won't be tempted beyond what you can bear. But I want you to understand something. God delights in putting on us things bigger than us and harder for us. You know why? Because then we get to depend on Him to give us the power to walk through it. Therefore, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It may be bigger than me. What I face may be, may be larger than anything I've ever faced but I can walk through this I can do this in Christ who strengthens me we're such puny anemic American Christians spoiled rotten and we need to learn how, if tomorrow we were to find out that a fascist government takes over and we ain't too far away, and we lose every blessing we ever had, we're not going to fall apart. Because, like Paul, If Paul could say what Paul said under the tyranny of a Roman, corrupt Roman... Let me tell you something, Rome was far more corrupt than the corruption you see in America today. If Paul could say that in that environment, we can too. Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know how he knew Christ would strengthen him? In verse 13? Because he's rejoicing in the Lord in verse four, and the joy of the Lord is your strength. Oh, you see that connection? That's good. That's good. You see, because Paul had learned this, and Paul had learned this secret, this is why Paul could write things like 2 Corinthians chapter number four, um, verse seven and. Eight and nine, and I want to read these because I love these words. But uh, Paul said this But we have this treasure in jars of clay to know that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Always carrying on in the body the death of the Lord Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. Wow. Church, rejoice in the Lord always, rest in the peace of God always don't be anxious for anything but pray 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 and meditate on Christ centered truth and know that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you wow Man, just rest in that and do it <laughs> it's easier said Than done because you're going to be tempted to not do that a thousand times a day. But just keep fighting. Don't give up. And if you've been squandering this issue of, of being content, tell the Lord your greatest struggles. Tell the Lord he knows. And look to Him for the help. For I know where my help comes from. It comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Others of you, whether you're sitting in here or you're somebody that ever listens to this audio somewhere that's maybe not here, and they're listening to it later on. This peace of God thing that I've talked about, and this being content, you will always be frustrating and trying to pursue that if you have never found peace with God. You have to have peace with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Or none of these things make sense or work. Ye must be born again. Now, I'm going to ask every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed.